Hey, welcome to the Rusty George Podcast. It's an honor to have you with us. Got some exciting news for you. I've got a new book coming out in February of 2018 called Better Together, Surprising Insights for Introverts, Extroverts, Free Spirits, People Pleasers, and Curmudgeons, and especially you. Uh, It's a great opportunity for me to share some of my struggles with being an introvert and also the individualistic issues we all deal with in our world that seem to be pulling us further apart from one another and the amazing way that God uses together as a way to cure uh, the issues in our life, how we is really the cure for me. So I'd love for you to check that out. You can find that uh, through my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com or on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold, and pre-order it for February 6th. Okay, we're here with Gene Apple, who is the lead pastor of Eastside Christian Church down in Anaheim, and Gene has been in ministry for, is it 60 years now, Gene? (laughs) It it, uh, feels like 60. (laughs) Uh, Probably, what, 30? 35. 35. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, if people aren't familiar with you, would you just give us the, you know, the 90 second tour of your life that got you to where you are today as far as just your stops along the road? Yeah. Well, I grew up a pastor's kid in central Illinois and uh, was really influenced by my dad. And he died suddenly when I was 14 years old. And that really just uh, was a turning point to me to feeling very called toward ministry. Uh, you know, at a young age, understanding life and death and the implications of eternity. And uh, so I got real serious about ministry at a young age. And uh, one of my first ministry experiences was an intern at Eastside Christian Church, which was then in Fullerton, California. I was 20 years old and in Southmore College. And uh, along the way, uh, after that internship, it was an associate pastor for four years in a little town called Monmouth, Illinois. Mm. spent 18 years in Las Vegas at Central Christian Church as a senior pastor there. And then uh, as five years at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. But about nine and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to come back to Eastside where my kind of ministry journey began. And uh, it's, it's just been a privilege to serve in a church that, uh, gave so much uh, into my life and invested in me at, you know, a young age and very thankful for the privilege to be back and humbled by some of the cool things God's doing. Now you've been able to walk through some fascinating changes there at Eastside. I mean, you, you entered into a building that had been around a long time and desperately needed a facelift, but then rather than doing what a lot of us pastors do of just kind of adding on, you decided to relocate the entire campus. Walk us through that a little bit and just uh, how difficult was that and what were just some of the cool things you saw God do? You know, it's interesting. When I was an intern, you know, in 1980, so that tells you how many years ago that was at Eastside, um, they were talking about relocation at that time because the former campus in Fullerton was just limited in space and size and, you know, buildings were kind of dysfunctional that had been added to over time without a master plan. But the cost of relocation in California just made it absolutely prohibitive uh, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I came to the church in late 2008, which was the time that the uh, recession was just hitting its full stride. And 
Southern California was impacted, uh, you know, in a very dramatic way. And, and yet the church, we, were, we started experiencing a really dramatic growth spurt. And we kind of prayed for a year about, you know, do we relocate? Do we go multi-site? Do we do a combination of both? Uh, and we really felt that God was leading us to say, you know, multi-sites in your future, but right now you need to relocate first to kind of reinvent the DNA of the church so that when you do replicate, you're kind of replicating the new vision and the new DNA. And uh, so we relocated eventually in 2012 and uh, started going multi-site just two years ago in late 2015. So, so uh, but it was really the recession that enabled us to financially have the capacity to relocate, which sounds funny, but uh, we, we were able to hit the real estate market at just the absolute bottom of the bottom in Southern California. And, uh, you know, so mm. uh, just kind of God's timing on how all that worked. Wow. Yeah, I know there's a lot of churches that benefited from that by seeing uh, some buildings open up. Um, which is, you know, a little bit easier in some parts of the country because you can pick up a Circuit City or a Kmart or something like that. But uh, it's not always that easy to find a place in Southern California that's willing to be zoned yeah. uh, for a church. So you guys well, amazing. As you, as you know, and being in Southern California, and I imagine your real estate prices are similar to ours, but in Orange County now, an acre is over $2 million. Oh, my goodness. And so, uh, you know, it just becomes cost, quite cost-challenging. Cost right. Right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about just, I know you have a passion for community. You're in a series uh, in a, on it right now, uh, which I recommend everybody to check out at your website um, called The Missing Link, uh, which has a lot to do with this issue of community and how most of us are overlooking it. And we're talking a lot about community this month with the release of the book Better Together um, uh, by kind of a, you know, a, a sketchy author, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, but certainly something that's been a passion of mine and I know is of yours as well. Um, but you've kind of learned this uh, firsthand from two separate angles. Uh, one obviously is church leadership and the need to have others around you. And we'll get to that. But one area of your life that maybe a lot of our listeners didn't know about is, is you went through a divorce uh, many years ago. And I'd love for you just to kind of walk us through a little bit of, of just how other people came around you during that time. And, and speaking as one who grew up in the church, hearing of a pastor who goes through a divorce and keeps his job uh, was unheard of in those times. Yeah. And the way your church, your board came around you and friends certainly showed that people were better together. Can you just tell us some of those, those highlights there? Yeah, absolutely. First, let me just say, I'm so glad you wrote this book, Rusty, because it, you know, it's so needed. And I think more needed than ever. And, uh, you know, having had the privilege to take a peek at it already, it, it's just full of great stuff. Well, thank but, you. Uh, back in the 80s, I was, uh, you know, senior pastor of Central Christian Church in Vegas. And uh, I went through a marriage breakdown. Um, my ex-wife had an affair with a guy that I used to play tennis with every week and was a part of our church and ended up. Uh, leaving our marriage and, you know, despite relentless attempts at reconciliation, you know, married the guy. And so I found myself going through a really dark, lonely, uh, as you, you know, uh, alluded to the fact that, you know, in those days, somebody in ministry going through a divorce and even today, 
to a certain extent. You know, it seemed like the end of their ministry journey, and I certainly felt that was going to be the case for me. And and so when when I when this started to unfold in my personal life, I immediately resigned, uh, not believing that you know who's going to want a divorced pastor, and you know there's no you know, I'm certainly not going to, the church isn't going to employ me. And uh, I had a group of elders in that church who just uh, kind of put their arms around me and said, you know, we, we will not accept a resignation and, and uh, we want to walk with you through this. And, you know, I'd been real transparent about what the issues were. and They felt like scripturally there wasn't a reason for me to resign. And, and I was just broken enough at the time that, all I could do is kind of, kind of put myself in their hands and in their care, uh, so to speak. I, I even over the, over the course of the next year, I resigned two more times, <laughs> and uh, again, you know, they just kept holding on to me. And you know, I can honestly say today, I wouldn't be in ministry now if it wasn't for uh, the loving, shepherding, caring, relentless. A community that I experienced uh, from from those elders, and I, I always said, you know, I, I that was about four years into my eighteen year ministry in Vegas, and I said, you know, I wasn't just a pastor of that church; I was a product of that church, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so much of who I am, uh, and I think how I approach ministry got shaped by them. But it wasn't just them. Um, I, uh, one of the things that I really had to come to grips with at the time that was, uh, eye opening for me and alarming a bit was, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, I had a church that loved me, I had, I came from a large family, uh, I had more friends than should be legally allowed to have Hmm. in spite of all of that. Uh, the, the truth of the matter was I, I was, I like the term somebody used that I was a solo sapien and I, I really had just kind of, you know, if you asked people, are you a friend of Gene? There'd been lots of people. Oh yeah, he's my buddy. We're great friends and stuff. But the truth was I really didn't let people get emotionally close to me. And I kind of kept them at a, at an arm's distance and uh, not really, you know, a peek at the inside of my soul. Hmm. And, and I, I mean, honestly, Rusty, there were, there were zero people that really knew me at an intimate, uh, personal level. And so it was during that season when I was, you know, kind of going through that brokenness that a buddy of mine reached out to me, uh, with a letter. Cause again, I'd kind of isolated myself and really wasn't talking with people and, and those kinds of things. And, and basically the content of the letter was, he just said, you know, you're like a brother to me and I love you. And uh, I just want you to know for a friend, uh, to be a friend means that you're there day or night. And he goes, I'm here for you, pal. And, you know, anytime you want to, you're willing to reach out. I just want you to know my heart's open, our doors open, our homes open. Uh, you know, we won't stop praying for you. We won't stop loving you. Mm. And that letter, honestly, uh, was, I look back at one of the most defining moments in my life as a critical moment that kind of cracked me open to mm-hmm. my need for a community. And uh, I, I reached out to him. I remember calling him. And um, uh, as a result of that phone call, uh, he and 
myself and three other guys uh, started a little small group and we would do breakfast together every Thursday morning and just opened up our lives to each other. This, this was back in the days where we could go to a casino in Vegas, we'd get breakfast, we could get two eggs, bacon, or sausage, toast, hash browns, and coffee, all for 99 cents a piece. So we were always <laughs> fighting over the check. Who's gonna buy today? You know, it's five <laughs> bucks for all of us. <laughs> but, uh, but just in that circle, you know, I found um, unconditional acceptance, uh, uncommon wisdom, um, you know, extraordinary love. And uh, that was kind of the circle of my fellowship for the next several years. And then um, in 1993, I uh, remarried, beautiful, wonderful, fantastic woman. And, and you know, then that community kind of changed because now as a couple, we started doing community. And God has just brought, you know, different circles and different seasons of our life that uh, we've been particularly close to. And I would say even like today, there's, there's two circles that are predominant uh, for me and, and also for Barbara too, my wife. Uh, one is there's a group of pastors and their wives that serve churches kind of of similar challenges and similar size. And we're very intentional about getting together with that group three times a year. And we stay in close contact all throughout the year. And then we're also a part of a small group with six other couples uh, in our church. Mm-hmm. And uh, the combination of those two things, you know, the, the one really helps with my ministry, uh, Barbara and I, to have other people who kind of get our world uh, and our challenges, et cetera, and understand the whole ministry side. And then there's a whole other personal side that our local church small group uh, mm-hmm. provides. So. Little, wow. little history, little background there. That's great. Well, you, you know, you mentioned these these guys that came alongside you, and you kind of have walked through several different seasons of finding friends. And I think there's a misnomer that a lot of us believe in, and that is a true friend is one friend you have for your entire life. When you know some people are kind of there for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, and and God just uses different people and uses us in different people's lives. So when you're when you're thinking about looking for that friend that you can really open up with and be real with. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of characteristics we could rattle off. Loyal, genuine, accepting, wise, relatable. But in your mind, what's the one thing that you, you look for the most? Yeah, uh, several, several different things. I mean, one thing I really try to avoid is the person who's really trying hard to be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Because I always, that always feels like there's a there's a another agenda behind that. Right. And so I really like the thing that I value the most is the person who uh, doesn't care. I mean, care maybe isn't the right word, but they don't care that I'm the pastor of a mega church, and they're not attached to whether things are going well or bad. They could give a rip about that stuff. Right. Just love me for me. And I can just be myself in their presence. And Mm. I can, if, if, if I'm in a crappy mood, I can be honest about that. If I'm in a great mood, they can celebrate that. But, but they don't have that vested interest in my ministry success or failure. They're just, they're just friends. They're just loyal and, and they're going to be there 
uh, through thick and thin. And, you know, when I left um, Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, I'd spent five years there. And, you know, there were so many great things about my experience there, but I really felt God was calling me back to be the senior pastor of a local church. But Barbara and I made the decision to leave there not knowing where we were going. We made the decision to leave without, you know, having accepted another role anywhere. And there was about a, uh, let's see, eight month period, almost nine month period where we were in that kind of limbo land. And I'll tell you, the friends who were there for me at that time Mm. and the friends who, you know, were just, uh, you know, you you learn about who your friends are kind of in those in-between times like that. And, uh, right. Uh, that, that was, uh, I'm enormously grateful for that kind of community and fellowship. Well, and what's interesting as we transition to the other side of your life, the kind of the business life, which for you would be vocational ministry, some of those friends went with you out to California to help begin the revolution that you've started out there through God's design. Um, But talk about, you know, this, the ability to have community in the workplace, because you've not only found that outside of work, you found it within and have kind of, have you hired for that or with that in mind? Or was that a byproduct of just the people you hired? I I think it's more the latter. I I think it's more the byproduct. I mean, obviously, when uh, you hire, one of the things I'm always looking for in creating a team is, is the chemistry factor. And, you know, do I like these people when they when they walk into my office or I walk into their office or, you know, I just see them in the hallway, do I get a positive charge or is it like, Oh no, I, I want to go the other way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, those are all things that I'm testing in the hiring process so that when we are working together, uh, there's a sense of teamwork and, and camaraderie. You know, the, the, the people that I work closest with in my environment is an executive team and there's five of us who serve on that. And so, uh, the, the, the chemistry factor in hiring every one of those people, you know, is, uh, super critical to me mm-hmm. because we're going to be in the trenches together. We're going to, we're going to experience some defeats. We're going to have to make some hard decisions. We're, we're going to, there's going to be some crises and some things, you know, that break our hearts, uh, at times that we got to be together. And there's going to be times where we, you know, we get to rejoice and we get to celebrate and we get to, you know, see some God do some amazing things. And, and so that group is really important. And so I'm intentional, you know, I, I, um, uh, I spend time, I spend several hours with that group every week. Mm-hmm. And, um, we do two retreats together a year too. So like next week, uh, we're going to be gone for two and a half days, uh, together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do we get some ministry and business stuff done on that retreat? Yeah, of course. But I also know it's that time away that just is that uh, kind of relational lubrication that just keeps our community and our sense of togetherness strong. And, you know, so we're able to have like frank conversations with each other. We challenge each other. Like if an outsider came into some of our meetings, they think, man, they must not like each other or something. And it's totally just the opposite. We're so comfortable with each other and so safe with each other. You know, we can be like brothers and sisters right. <laughs> in, a, in a family and, you know. Uh, and then go out and laugh and have dinner together. And, and uh, That's great. Well, I know that, um, you know, for anybody who's leading anything, they, they recognize the pain of 
you know, kind of being in that, that seat where they think, well, it must be lonely at the top, but it doesn't always have to be. And, and you found a way to create that kind of environment. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, there's some people around you that have poured into you in such a way that have made it so great. And I've witnessed that having sat in your staff meeting and been around a lot of people from your church, they, it's a, a genuine camaraderie around there, which a lot of people would love to experience. So Gene, I just so appreciate you sharing a little bit of your life with us and uh, some of the things God has done and the value of community. And um, I know you're busy, so I'm going to wrap up our time. Uh, I got three questions and I, I shamelessly stole these from William Vanderblumen because they're just so good. And I'm do a little bit of tweak on one of them, but three questions we like to ask all of our, our guests. Okay. And the first one is, tell us a book you're reading right now you're pretty excited about. Oh, great question. Uh, what is the Mike most exciting thing that I'm reading right now? Uh, I'm not. I'm not reading anything. I'm real excited about right now, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm, get, I'm getting ready to read uh, a book called Better Together. Oh yes, I think yes. Be the most uh, amazing. It's uh, a page turner. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us the worst book you're reading. Let's go yeah. with that one. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. This last year, and I mean, you know, it's not a new book, but this uh, in in recent months, we our our eldership our elder team at our church, we read together Andy Stanley's book, Deep and Wide. Oh yeah. It's just, and it's just so good to reminder basics of the church and, yep. and inspiring. And it's a great thing to do as a team together. It's such a great read. And I, I try to read it about once a year and I always pick up something new in that. It's just, it's so well done. I love that book. Okay. Second question is, is there an app that you've been using lately you really enjoy? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty basic on my apps, man. Uh, mm. You know, I got my uh, social media apps. I have some news apps, you know, where I read news stories. My ESPN app is actually used uh, probably uh, too frequently. Uh, even while the Cubs aren't playing? Yeah, even when the Cubs aren't playing. You know, I, I, lo I, lo I love uh especially college sports, both college football. Oh, that's guys. right. You're a big college basketball fan. And this yeah. year feels like anybody could win it. There's no Crazy. dominant powerhouse this year. It'd be interesting. Yeah, it, it's a fun year. So I spent a little time on that. But as far as like time saver apps and things like that, I haven't spent, uh, there's not a, a lot of ones that I use, you know. Okay, so last one. I really I you, sound boring, don't I? Yeah, you really do. You really, we'll clean this up in the editing, make you yeah. sound a little better. Um, <laughs> well, you've been in ministry 60 years, you know? <laughs> okay, last one. I know you've got a good story for this, and I think you can probably tell it. Uh, a funny thing that happened on stage to you. Oh, gosh, there are so many things over, over the course of time. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I like, you know, kind of in the I'll never forget category is uh, this was when I was serving in Vegas and it was a Thanksgiving Eve service. It was a Wednesday night and that had become kind of a strong tradition for us. And for several years, we had kind of had an open mic time where we would pass around a mic around the room and people could celebrate things that they were thankful for and, and things like that. And, and it had just been, you know, moving and magical. And so here we were another Thanksgiving, it's open mic time, you know, and we've got somebody roving the room with a microphone. And uh, so this gal stands up and I remember she had like on a red sequined jacket and, uh, 
you know, she definitely looked like a Vegas girl. And uh, she had on her high heels and she started into a story about saying, uh, this has been a hard year for me. And it was a heartbreaking story. Uh, now this year, my, my husband left me and had an affair with another woman, you know, and your heart's just breaking for her. And then she goes and she points like to the row behind her and she goes, and there she is. <laughs> and it was just an awful moment. And we brought that sharing time to a close very fast. And uh, I've never done it since. I've, I've never do had you, open mic time since. What's the appropriate reaction to that? I mean, do you, do you sing a song at that moment? Do we all stand and sing just as I am? Or? You have the closing prayer. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody is going to be able to think about anything else the rest no, of the No, they aren't. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Gene, thank you so much for sharing with us. Thanks for your influence in in my life and in our ministry here at Real Life. And we look forward to seeing you soon. So thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, Rustin. Great to spend time with you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a moment, we'd love for you to go to iTunes and write a review and share this with your friends on social media just by word of mouth. It's been great to have you here. We'll see you next month.